0: We are in week three of this sermon series called Love Is. One of the things that uh, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Paul David Chip, frequently says is he says, The Bible is not arranged by topic. And i got to be honest, that kind of annoys me. I am, am a structured or systematic kind of guy, and I wish really bad that there really was like the L section of the Bible was the topic of love, and then uh, we could flip over to the M's and deal with marriage stuff, and then the section for parenting would have to be a whole nother book this big, all right, for parenting issues, and then it's like how to deal with that annoying coworker. I don't know what that would fall under, but whatever letter that would fall underneath, how does a culture that seems so angry at each other see any kind of peace or reconciliation? I don't know what letter we would stick that under. I, I wish sometimes that the Bible was arranged like that and, and even this, this series kind of came to fruition. I was, I was uh, watching a series on parenting, a sermon series on parenting. Where he came back to First Corinthians thirteen. And I, I think I told you like three summers ago I was in a, a class at the seminary talking about how First Corinthians thirteen applies to marriage. And and we want so bad to kind of force the scriptures into our topics. But the fact that it doesn't align that way might annoy us, but it also might be really helpful to learn that there's there's these big picture themes in the scripture. Most importantly, it's not about topics that we can do a better job at. I believe that the Bible tells the singular story, and that is there is a merciful God pursuing broken people, right? And, And that what he's doing is revealing his love to the world so that in response he can birth in us the capacity to love him back and to love the people that bear his image, That's the, that's the story. That's the, the narrative. And so we see how that applies in these little pockets of relationships, but this is the story of God revealing His love to people so that we can love. And that might not fit your topical study this morning, but I believe it'll be good for our hearts. So grab your Bible, if you would, this morning. We're going to hold them up in the air. We're going to say our creed together uh, or maybe the device you use for your Bible if you're not a hundred like me and still use this paper thing. But let's hold them up and let's declare this together this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. We are working our way through here. Uh, we're only going to get two more words in. We, we dealt with three words last week. Only getting two words in this week, and really only kind of one because one of them's a conjunction. Um, but we're we're slowly working our way through. And w- one of the things I've said uh, each of these weeks is how this idea of defining love, what love is, fits with all art throughout uh, uh, history. It, it fits with theater. It fits with with every novel that's been written. There's a story of love. We've tried to define this thing in every culture and in every time. And if you just take music from yesteryear, um, here in in kind of uh, postmodern culture, right? You really have, when you think about the three big ideas we've pulled out of these texts, we have songs that kind of say what we've been trying to say. Because what we said the first week is love is the win. Like if we get everything else right and we get that wrong, then it doesn't profit anything, right? Which means week one, we all kind of crowded into a VW bus, right? And we were like, all you need is love, right? Like, that was week one, right? If that was disturbing, it's about to get worse. Because last week, unfortunately, we started defining love, that love is patient. Ugh. Which Tina Turner has to kick the doors off the hinges and say, what's love got to do? got to do with it unfortunately everything right and this week uh we're we're getting a little more why are you shaking your head at me i didn't actually start strutting like tina turner it could have been worse this week we're we're slowing things down a little bit with what the world needs now is love there you go yeah what the world needs. So back to verse number four, uh, where we started last week, and where we're going to get a little bit further this week. Love is patient and kind. That, that's as far as we're getting. And we're going to pick up a little momentum by the way next week, and we're actually going to cover uh, several more descriptions that kind of fall under one theme or idea. But for this week, we just fill in the blank. Love is kind. Love is kind. That's the fill in the blank. And for for a lot of us, that's where we probably would have started the definition. We wouldn't have started with patience. We would start with how we act towards one another. But the text starts with patience, moves to kindness. And so I want to talk about kindness from from several different perspectives. And the, the first one is this idea that kindness is needed. It is what the world needs. And not just what the world needs now. It's what the world has always needed ever since we rejected God's plan for humankind. Ever since we fell, we've needed love, and the fact is we we need love because we're surrounded by hurting people. People are hurting, and so kindness is needed in one another's lives i, I I'll never forget early on in this thing called doing ministry. I was nineteen years old, twenty years old, and i was I was leading worship at this this church plant in Florida. And there was this one particular family that that seemed like this this thriving family. He had a really good job, and she had a really good job, and they had this really nice house. Like as a young guy, I was like, ooh, they're making it, you know. Uh, they had nice cars and, and sharp kids, man, doing good in school and athletics and grades and the whole nine, whatever. And I'm like, I want to get to know this family better. They were serving in the church, plugged in. And so one Saturday night, I went over and, and ate dinner with them in their home. And as we're breaking bread together, as happens when you get out of rows and you sit in a circle, as people tend to be more honest, and they started unpacking for me as a 20 year old kid, the, the struggles that they were facing as a family and the heartbreaks that they were facing in that season of life as a family. And I remember backing out of the driveway thinking I had no idea they were hurting so bad. But the life-changing experience for me was actually the next morning when I was up there leading worship like normal. And what I noticed is they didn't look any different to everybody else that Sunday than they did the previous Sunday. Meaning it's real easy to walk into a room like this and to sing songs about Jesus like this and have no idea what the person to our right or to our left is facing. Sometimes we don't even know about that pain in our own loved ones because they haven't yet been honest with us about what they're struggling with. And and what the world needs is some people full enough of Jesus to meet them in their pain. To say, I've experienced the love of God in such a way that I'm going to treat you with some dignity and some grace. People are hurting. So kindness is needed. But here's the thing. People are also hurtful. So kindness is necessary. The, the the saying, hurt people hurt people, it's way more than just the title of a book. It's a reality of planet Earth. We tend to react out of our wounds. We tend to respond out of our pain. And so the fact is maybe that person that, that acted like a crazy person towards you in the store isn't just mean. They're hurting. And if I'm full enough of Jesus, you don't have to be kind to me for me to be kind back. I'm going to say that again because apparently it didn't resonate with somebody in this room. If I'm full enough of Jesus, I can be kind to you even if you weren't kind to me first. Because in Christ, we grew up. By the way, we'll get to that in 1 Corinthians 13 towards the end. We're talking about a grown-up, mature kind of love who's left the playground. We no longer live by the statement, well, he started it. If we're full enough of Jesus, they might start it. And we're going to respond with the love of Christ. And they're going to go... I don't know what to do with that. That's love is kind. People are hurting, and and the fact is, we're not trying to give people an excuse to be bullies, but we are trying to extend the same grace that's rescued us from ourselves. And really, I almost almost filled in, in the blank here that love is a grace. Like it, it's it's a it's a grace. For for us to truly be kind is to be a conduit of the grace of God. The reason that that he has to tell us to be kind to people is because every person you will ever encounter in your entire life is a dirty, rotten sinner. (laughs) It's the same thing we talked about last week about patience. The reason patience is needed is because we are broken people trying to love broken people in a broken world. And nowadays, nobody wants to talk about sin. Right. Don't use sin. That's a judgy word. That's a mean word. Dude, if we're not real about the fact that I'm as busted as you are and we're just going to pretend to be okay, there's not going to be any abiding kindness because the moment you offend me, I'm going to be shocked. I can't believe they're sinful. And there's just a healthy freedom to be like, no, you're as busted as me. Let's do life together. It'll be great. Because we're expecting that the grace that's rescued us will flow through us with some good old-fashioned kindness. Kindness is needed. And sometimes the person in your life who needs kindness the most is the person who's acting in a way that deserves it the least. They don't need correction from you. Man, I have have found this, and this is really hard for me. I have found that when when my sons do something wrong, and they already know that it's wrong, my primary goal isn't teaching them that it was wrong, because they already know that. It's to love them. But man, in my flesh, it's like I want to beat them up for doing something wrong, so that they'll learn the lesson that it was wrong that they already know the lesson of. (laughs) And the fact is, God's calling us to a real different perspective. And, and so here's what i ask you. Sometimes a good way to define something is to, by def- to define the opposite of it. So if we're trying to define what kindness really is, then I would ask you this. What's the opposite of kindness? And if your answer is meanness, I would suggest to you that the scriptures have a little different definition than that. I think maybe, just maybe, the, the opposite of kindness isn't meanness, but it's shame. If kindness is this expression of grace, then what happens when grace is removed? There's only shame. <laughs> right? But but if there's grace, then even in your failure, I can meet you with some grace and some kindness. Andy Stanley, in, in this series that I was watching about, Parenting out of first Corinthians 13, he asked this when it came to kindness. How do you respond to the people in your life when you see their weaknesses? What's your go-to response when you see weakness in the life of somebody close to you? When you see a, a failure, when you see sin, when you see they drop the ball with something, what's our go-to response? And I gotta be honest with you, mine is not kindness. Which means I somehow am living with some kind of law over the people in my life that I don't want to live under myself. I want God's love. I don't want God's law. I'm toast. I want God's love. And in the same way, what he's trying to explain to us is, I mean, if, we, if we've experienced that love, then love is kind. And if we're going to be broken people doing life with broken people in a broken world, and kindness is necessary. We just went old school church bell. I can't not... That was like, holy there for a minute. I'm sorry if somebody... I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not even going to look that direction. That was awesome. (laughs) Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today in the house of God. Sorry. If you're at home, sorry. Church bells. We just heard church bells. Okay. Um, so kindness is needed. All right. Here's the second thing. Uh, and, and, and let me say this before, before I say the second observation about kindness. I got to tell you, I'm just going to be super straight with you as your pastor for a minute. This has kicked my butt. I'm just going to tell you, like, this has, this has messed with me for the last several months. Biblical kindness is authentic. It's real. It's heart level. It's not surface. It's not fake. It's not just how we treat people in a hurry. Here's what I would say. is I've been studying this text the last several months, I've realized that there's a huge difference between niceness and kindness. And I think we use those terms as though they're interchangeable, and I just don't think they are. There's a big difference between niceness and kindness. Niceness, I think, is just kind of on the surface. But biblical kindness comes from a changed heart. That's why the text starts with patience. Remember last week we said you can't actually fake patience. It's an internal work of God. It changes your heart. When you try to fake patience, you look very impatient. Right? He starts there because God always starts there. He's always about heart change, not surface level behavior modification. That's a religion that leads to death. Following Jesus and and coming into saving faith in Jesus Christ and being born again means he transforms us from the inside and it can't help but work its way out. Which means if I really am walking in patience towards the people around me, it's not so much that I have to try to be kind, it's that the work of grace is is working its way out of me as it's transforming within me. We're in a moment where culture seems to be really obsessed with kindness, right? We, we've got kindness matters campaigns, and we've got random acts of kindness campaigns from the same culture who's like instantly ready to turn on somebody if they let us down. <laughs> That's not kindness, like. That's, that's the surface level conditional niceness. I will be nice to you unless you're not nice to me. And then I'm done with you. When it says love is kind, that's not a biblical definition of kindness. At best. It's niceness. The reason when, when we read the fruit of the spirit, if you're, if you're new to the things of church and that's not familiar with you, the apostle Paul in his church in his letter to the church in Galatia He talks about how the Spirit of God produces fruit in us, right? And and he lists these nine fruits of the Spirit. The first one is love, ironically. Again, the reminder that this isn't about us pretending to be more loving. This is about God doing a work within us. The second two fruits of the Spirit also are the kind of internal work of God. It's joy and peace. So God's doing this thing in us through his love as we believe his love and express his love. where We're experiencing joy and peace, right? And then in the next two fruits of the Spirit, it begins to work its way out into our relationships, which is patience and then kindness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Even as he's talking about the fruit that the Spirit bears out in us, patience comes first. It has to. It has to start there if it's going to be real, if it's going to be authentic. These trendy versions of kindness are really just niceness we almost should should change the the phrase from random acts of kindness to random acts of niceness because i got to be honest with you it's easier for me to be nice to a stranger than it is for me to be kind to people who test my patience on a regular basis right it's actually easier to show niceness to a stranger than to show kindness to somebody who Test our patience on a regular basis. But somehow we feel better about ourselves. When we show kindness to that. And I think that's a beautiful and a healthy thing. But man if that doesn't go home with us. I don't know that that's biblical kindness. That's not the work of love. In our hearts. Which leads me to the third observation about kindness. So the first one is it's needed if we're. For broken people doing life with broken people in a broken world, then, then we know that people are hurting and we know that people can be hurtful. And so it's needed. And, and, and not just that it's needed, that, that it's an authentic, it's a real thing. It's not a fake thing. It's heart level. Which means, number three, kindness is costly. Kindness costs us something. So Maurice and I have tried to make a habit, and we've not uh, been faithful about it, but we've tried to uh, build into our routine of life once a year to leave our kids just to see. Uh, when we were early uh, on having kids, somebody told us the best thing your kids can see from you is for you to leave them with a suitcase in your hand for no other reason than to invest in your marriage. And so we try hard to have a couple nights a year where we leave for the sole purpose of I'm not preaching anywhere. It's not a mission trip. We're just going away to work on our connection, our relationship. And obviously with the pandemic, it had been a while. We finally went away two weeks ago. We went to Granberry because um, we're old and that's what we like doing. Um, so we went to Granberry. I-, I own it. It's all good. Um, and so we're walking around the square in Granberry um, at-, at some of these shops. And in, in about half of the shops, they've got these white women t-shirts. You know what I'm talking about? Like, cats are ha What, like, you know what I mean? Like, just stuff that only a white woman would wear. And so, we're walking through these shops, and seriously, it's weird. I, I just don't understand. Like, I love Jesus and drink a lot of wine. Like, I don't, anyways. um, so we're walking through these shops, and we walk past this one shirt, um, I, I took a picture of it, right? We walked past this one shirt that says kindness is free and Marisa goes, mm-hmm, that's right. I'm like, okay, Medea, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, what was that a and B no, it's not. And I full blown started preaching this part of the sermon in the middle of the store. And she said, shut up. Um, <laughs> and walked away um but for real so i get what they mean like i get what this shirt means the, the idea doesn't cost me anything to just show some kindness to somebody like i i get the concept of this and i totally buy into this i just don't buy into the free part like a biblical kindness is so costly it demands death to my flesh Biblical kindness is so costly, it demands that I take up his cross and follow after him and lay down my life. If it begins with patience, and if patience is meeting someone else at their pace, that means first I have to die to my own pace. That's pretty costly. And by the way, for me to experience the kindness of Jesus Christ cost him his own life as well. If I'm really gonna walk in kindness towards others, I can't live for me. Kindness isn't about how I act towards someone else. It's about who I'm living for. It's about my worship. Do I live for me, my convenience, my wants, my desires, or am I dead enough to my flesh, to myself, to my pride, to love somebody else like Christ loved me? That's not very free. Love is kind. And for love to be kind, there's got to be death to self. For years, I've told myself that I needed to be a kinder person. I, I'm a driven person. I'm a task-driven person. Um, there's a phrase that some of the people closest to me in my life use called, oh, he's in task mode. And what they mean by that is, stay away from Doug. Because I'm on mission to complete the task, and if you're not part of the task, I might accidentally bulldoze you. And man, I, early on, I think I think the Lord's grown me some in that. I, I I think I'm not quite as bulldozy as I used to be, but it's a struggle. Like it really is. Like the that type A whatever get the task done thing sometimes doesn't value people in front of you. Anybody else resonate with that? And for years I've thought, man, i got to work at being kinder. And the reason that this passage has wrecked me so bad is it's way worse than that. <laughs> i got to take up his cross and die to me. It's, it's way more than pretend to be kind. It's be set free from self. And love for God frees me from that, which then opens the door, gives the capacity to love other people selflessly. That bridge between love is first patient and then love has kind has been extraordinary convicting in my life, but also really freeing. Because I thought I had to try harder to do better. And now I've realized it's just like everything else in the Christian life. I got to get out of the way. And let him do the work that only he can—the work of grace. We have said both week and God, uh, both weeks, and God willing, will say each week. The the culture's so obsessed with this topic of love that it's almost as if they would say, "Love is God. It's what we live for. It's what we're focused on. It's it's what we're we're all about. Love is our God." And our worldview turns that straight on its head and says, no, our God is love. And so again, we come back that this series is not about beating people up. It's not about saying, hey, you need to try harder, do better, get your act together. But the plea in this series is going to continue to be, can you trust a little more today that you're as loved as God says you are? And let that faith transform you. In a way that transforms how we relate to one another on our best days and our worst days. With our strangers and the people closest to us. That we can meet them with kindness. Because we've been met with kindness. Kind of each week we've looked at a verse that's talked about this this aspect of God. But I think we don't talk enough about God's kindness. And so I'm going to ask, hang with me for a few more minutes. I'm going to look at three different verses here. About God's kindness. The, the first one is in Titus chapter 3. And man, I'll, hang on to this text, y'all. Like, like sink your teeth into this text. Titus chapter 3 verse 4. It says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. So first of all, see there the connection between kindness and love. They're not separated from one another. They're married together here. The kindness and love of God appeared. Here's what happened to you. Here's what happened to me he saved us <laughs> he saved us not because of righteous things not because we were kind not because he saw potential for kindness in us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy so kindness and i hope i can say this in a way that makes sense coming out of my mouth like it does in my head kindness isn't what we talk about in preschool church this isn't a nursery concept everybody be kind. Doesn't it kind of sound that like we're going to talk about kindness today. Oh, that's juvenile. This is our hope of salvation. (laughs) It's His kindness that brought us His saving grace that rescued us in His mercy. When His kindness appeared, my world changed. What if He would do the same For somebody else Through us (laughs) Because it doesn't say How that kindness appeared Like what if the way that that kindness would appear Into somebody else's life Is through somebody who bears his image When his kindness appeared He saved us Ephesians chapter 2 Ephesians chapter 2 begins by talking about How busted up we all were Before we met Jesus Ephesians chapter 2 starts off actually pretty heavy. And then there's one of them big buts in the text. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love. There's our, our, our idea of love is, right? With which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace You've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a good place to say amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's what's happened with the love with which he's loved us. Why? Why did he do that? Verse 7. So that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. (laughs) He moves heaven and earth to rescue you so that in the days to come in eternity future he might just show off and smother you with the kindness of his grace that's how important grace is to the heart of God it's the reason he crucified his son it's to make sure there was no barrier between you and his kindness that's his eternal plan for us hallelujah kindness isn't a Elementary kindergarten principle. It's the thing to which we are saved. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with that truth? What do we, what do, we do with that principle? What do we do with that, that idea from the heart of God? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. God's kindness is meant, is intended, is purposed to lead you to repentance. The word repentance means a a change of mind resulting in a change of direction. It's the idea of I was living for me. For my way. For my comfort. For my joy. For myself. And then I experienced the kindness of our God. And I turned and said, I believe your love. Now love the world through me. I'm going to show kindness to unkind people. I'm going to show kindness to inconsistent people. I'm going to show kindness to people who vote different than me. I'm going to show kindness to people who are a different color than my skin. I'm going to show kindness to the coworker who's trying to take my promotion. I'm going to show kindness to the neighbor who doesn't like me. I'm going to show kindness to people who everybody else thinks is unworthy of kindness because I know that nobody's been less worthy of kindness than me when it comes to the holiness of God. That repentance, that change is the only appropriate response to a glimpse of the kindness of the heart of God. The love of God frees me from living for the kingdom of me so that I can lay down enough of my flesh to genuinely, vulnerably express love to the people in my life who are hurting and even at times hurtful. Love is kind. This morning, at the end of the day, either we've experienced the love of God in a transforming way, or maybe we feel like we're on the outside looking in, wondering what would it be like to feel that confidence of being forgiven, of being loved, of being accepted. I gotta tell you, friend, I I don't want to see you walk out these doors on this beautiful Sunday. I don't want to see you log off of this sermon without having an opportunity to talk to somebody about the love of God for you. And if you don't know for sure you've experienced what what's so transformative, Jesus calls it a new birth. If you don't know for sure that's happened to you, then as we sing a song here at the end about how God's made a way for that, you can go to the prayer room in the back. There will be some men and women ready for you. If, if you're watching online or if you're not comfortable, walking into that room. You can text PrayFW to 94000, as Trevor mentioned at the beginning, because we're here for you. We want you to experience that love in such a way that it doesn't just get you to heaven. It changes your life. and changes your capacity to love the people around you. With patience and with kindness.